Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's in the static, it's in the moisture, it's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. Josh. Welcome back to the show. It's been a hot minute. How do you feel? I feel great. Thanks for having me again. So what was the last time you were on? Was it Blood Machines? Yes. Yes. We were in person with, I believe, Aaron, Diego. I think that was it. I think. Yeah, it was Aaron, Diego, yeah. yourself, myself. It was a full house. Machines. It was a full yeah. house. It was a full round table. Yeah. Yeah. Last time was Blood Machines, and that was... Six, seven months. It was last summer, right? Yeah. I okay. think it was like August or something. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago. It was like four or five months ago. Yeah. Well, in our given time period, it feels like forever ago. Yeah. So definitely. I'm glad that you're back. We're talking about another space movie. A much better would, one, in my a, opinion. <laughs> a much better one. I would say Blood Machines should have been like this movie, but it just wasn't. I know you weren't very happy with the movie. You're like, the more the actors speak, the less I like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, it was, well, it's because they just, that's it, a whole thing. It's a whole, it is a whole obviously thing. anybody can watch the episode and see that I gave that movie a two out of 10 on the movie <laughs> and a 10 out of 10 on soundtrack and design because oh, yeah. Carpenter brought it and visually they knew what they were doing. It's just, Why'd you put a script on this if you didn't know how to write a script or you didn't want to? <laughs> exactly. But we're here to talk about The Color Out of Space, which is 
Lovecraftian short story. Yeah. So before we get into the movie proper, I just want to pick your brain because I know you're a big Lovecraft fan and I never asked, but like what draws you towards uh, the Lovecraft universe? Because I know we've done some D&D-esque campaigns in Call of Cthulhu, which is the Lovecraftian dungeon crawler. Um, So what draws you towards Lovecraft, my friend? Yeah, so um, what you're describing is the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game um, by Chaosium. And you're right, I've ran that for a little bit. And what drew me to it was that Lovecraftian horror, its big focus is suspense. And the idea of how horrifying the unknown is versus, you know, oh no, there's a big spooky monster right around the corner and it's going to eat my face. It's instead, I don't know what's around the corner. There's probably nothing. But even if it is nothing, there is some greater thing out there that is going to consume me, the world, my people, my party, my friends, family, everything I know. Or it might not at all because I'm insignificant. It, it That's, I think, what draws me to Lovecraft and that whole genre of literature, fiction, games, artwork, you name it is that existential dread that to me is far more compelling than spooky monster jumps out of the corner and does scary things like, or even slasher films, which by the way, I do appreciate old school slasher films like from 1970s Halloween and, you know, nightmare on Elm street and those classics. But to me, no contemporary horror does, has done the kind of suspenseful horror that Lovecraftian fiction is masterfully doing which is this idea of being afraid of what you can't control being afraid of what you can't understand right so if you have a horrible movie and by horror movie i mean horror movie such (laughs) as Texas chainsaw massacre you know the horrible thing is a deranged lunatic who wears people's skin as a costume and you know the intention is to catch the victims torture them skin them and add to his collection you know what is to what what is the worst case scenario, and it's horrific and terrible and gruesome, and it's or, or any Rob Zombie movie, really, like House of a Thousand Corpses. You have that you kind of get an idea of where this is going to go. It's going to be horrific, but there's no incomprehensible nature to it. We can comprehend a serial killer, we can comprehend genocide, we can comprehend horrible mutilation of individuals. Right. We can't really comprehend an otherworldly presence or even deity. And that's where Lovecraft really shines. It shines in the suspense. So that's what's always drawn me in to Lovecraft. That's what drew me into running the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game for the last right. four or five years. That's what draws me into, you know, playing in that universe, that system. It, it's the having those experiences with people where you're right. playing characters or watching characters be played or reading a book where characters going through that experience, or in this case with Color Out of Space, watching a movie where the actors are playing characters that are convincingly in that space, in that world, where they're grasping at straws, trying to make sense of a reality they've been forcefully pulled into that is incomprehensible and that is absolutely making them an insignificant presence in it. So oh, yeah. that's that's kind of the entirety of why Lovecraftian horror really 
appeals to me is that existential dread it's the it's the dark side of existential philosophy in a way it's the, <laughs> it's the side of embracing i'm nothing therefore i can be carefree it's the not only am i nothing i cannot be carefree because i'm so inconsequential that some greater being just breathing will probably destroy everything i know before i even know what happens Right. These uh, eldritch uh, ancient gods that uh, Lovecraftian dreamed up, which yeah. are indescribable, unimaginable horrors from the Necronomicon. Where naivete is a safe island to save you from the void of the unknown. <laughs> That's amazing. It is. It's fantastic. I love it so much. It's such it's a kind of horror that I think is poorly missed these days. In fact, I'll say that as an individual who loves me a good horror video game, that's where games like Silent Hill or games like, um, I'm trying to think of other recent ones, Evil or Within, Evil Within yeah. or um, I'm trying to think, or the, the new Resident Evil games or things like that. There are scary monsters. There are, oh my gosh, these things are horrible. There, I got to escape from them. I got to fight them back. But Beyond that, it's a, where did these come from? What is their intent? What is the machinations beyond this? I have to figure it out. It's a mystery to solve. Right. Like, that's why I really enjoy doing the Call of Cthulhu campaigns uh, with you, with you as the dungeon master. Um, Because, like, as you described it, it's people placed in extraordinary situations. Now, that describes a whole lot of stories, but, like, in this case, it's like, we're in the dark. We don't know what's going on. We're uncovering what has happened and what is happening, which right. by the end of the campaign, you realize it's, oh, my God, this is a cosmic horror, this cosmic beast or entity that has infiltrated into our serene life. And it's like we have to deal with it, whether to run away or to fight it. And Lovecraft perfectly illustrates that feeling of dread, because like when I play that game, it's my point of view. When you play these horror video games, you also have that existential dread because like it's you, the player in this environment, it's fake, it's virtual reality, but like video games can tap into what um, Lovecraft was penning way back when. Right. Right. And I I think that's a really good point of what you're describing horror is missing out on. In my opinion, is that tapping into that feeling. Right. Right. Because let, let's let's throw back to an old game at, at this point, scary to say. An old game called Amnesia. Amnesia wasn't scary because you were running from monsters. That was a thing. But those monsters wouldn't have been scary if you just threw them at you and you saw exactly what they were and they were right there pressing through a, a door and chasing down a hall and you saw them full vision. They were scary because you barely got a vision of them before they ripped your face off. And then the rest of the game is pawing around the dark with some unseen malignant force crashing down around you, destroying the very, in that game, it's a castle, destroying the very walls of the castle around you, bringing down the roof on your head, the very outside seeming like you're in some sort of void, even though you know you're technically in a forest in Europe. Right. That crashing sense, that dread. So the monsters are there, but they're more there to kind of help push the person through the experience, the experience of being in this what is this horrendous existential threat that I have no power over that I can't even hope to stop? Right. And I feel like video games and novels can tap into that because it's point of view. It's your point of view. While a yeah. movie, we're watching characters interact with the world. We're yes. not invested. We're not part of the party. We're watching them, you know? Yeah. And that's actually, in my opinion, why there has not been a successful 
Lovecraft, or rather a successful movie set in Lovecraftian or Lovecraft country, as it's called, that the whole entire genre HBO of, series. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I heard that was quite good. I haven't got a chance to watch it. I really should. But I've looked up movies that have tried, like, they never got a development hell, basically. Like, for example, I think there's been three or four different directors that have wanted to do At the Mountains of Madness, which is one of the most classic of Lovecraft tales. Really? Almost all of them get their knees taken out from under them by the studio. The studio is like, we don't really see how it's going to be impactful. We don't really think audiences are going to enjoy this kind of experience. And most of the time, to your point, the experiences of that kind of fiction do not translate well to watching actors on a screen play out characters and watching their experiences until now, in my opinion, like, but we'll, we'll get into that. We will get into that. Um, that's where I think Kickstarter comes into play because like, while the studios are fearful, like, oh my God, we're going to like get our return on our, on our investments yeah. by producing this movie that we don't really know who the audience is for with Kickstarter. It's like, I'm raising money right. to do this project. Let me tap into the audience that I know will enjoy this movie. Right. I'm making this for a specific audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the whole tale as old as Hollywood, the tale as old as cinema. That's why you see rising and falling genres that in certain decades, one genre and done a specific way is hyper popular. And you see a million movies in that yep. genre. 1970 slasher films, there were like 10 or 20 big hits. Mm -hmm. 1970 just slasher films all fall in the same formula. Any other horror movie that was in time inside that time frame was made either by an indie studio on a super low budget. So they didn't have to worry about getting approval from executives. Or it didn't even make it past the script writing phase. Right. It didn't even make it past an executive actually signing a dotted line saying, sure, I'll pony up a few million dollars to get what you need to make this movie. So I agree with you 100%. Like studios follow the rising and falling tides of what is going to bring, what is going to put butts in seats, essentially. Right. They don't want to take risks because to them, as the executives do, Movies are an investment. They're a business venture. If they it's are. not going to be consistent, if the risk is too high, they just won't do it. It's teetering the line between like artistic intent and then making money, which is why the whole reason the movie exists is to make money, get people to watch the movie. Um, yeah. With Lovecraft specifically, like I'm just looking back to like, because on this show, we've watched some Lovecraft movies. We saw From Beyond, which was a 1980s movie, and it is... 1980s it's it's pretty much a sequel to reanimator it's the same director yep. as barbara crampton in it as you can guess with a scream queen in it it's very uh sexualized and like with lovecraft yep. there isn't really that yep. sexual nature uh, to uh, it. A, fe a female lead who inevitably goes with too few too few articles of clothing yes ends up in a compromising situation <laughs> yep. a, a, a male supporting character that won't listen to her and ends up getting killed <laughs> off yeah no it, it's absolutely that 1980s horror like again yes. the rising and falling tides of what is putting seats and butts in that period right and with color out of space i feel like it's tapping closer into the intent of what lovecraft uh was after yeah. and it's so refreshing because like the only one that i can really think of that's like similar to it but isn't lovecraft is annihilation yeah, yeah. Oh, similar right. story like we're gonna get into it but like something from outer space crashes into our world and then that's, changes everything. something insane mm -hmm. yeah so um, we danced upon it josh 
do you want to get into color out of space properly i i think yeah let's go ahead and get into the movie properly let's really break it down um do you want to lead the way and summarize or should i like how do you how do you want to go about this what before, makes the most sense before we summarize the film i i pitched this to you i was like i know how much you love lovecraft let's watch this movie it has nicholas cage of all people in it <laughs> I, I i we never got around a scene we remember it was in theaters but it's one of those it came out when we were having a really busy time at work family yeah. million different things going on so it completely fell under my radar but holy shit I wish it hadn't because after I watched it, like I was like, this is perfect. This is like Nick Cage was meant to play this character. (laughs) (laughs) We saw the entire range of Nick Cage's acting, whispering, screaming, going insane. He was convincing. He played the part convincingly. That's why why he has an Academy Award, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't. (laughs) I I just finished that sentence for you. Like Nick Cage, even though he gets clowned on so much, dude gave his he gave it his all with this movie. Like I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) He was so good. He was like the gem. Like other than the special effects and the whole like horror element, cosmic horror, like him in this movie, if he wasn't in this movie, probably wouldn't have uh recommended this to you, to be honest. No, I mean, I, I agree with you entirely. He really, really made the movie. Um, I, I will say that I, I'm sure there were other actors that could have done it justice. I, I don't think Nick Cage is the only person that could have done this role. But the way he did it really did make the movie. Like, I, I, I would dread how it would have turned out if they say miscasted it. To your point, you probably wouldn't recommend it to me because it probably wouldn't have been the same movie. It probably would have flopped. And just been one of many failed attempts at a at putting Lovecraft's literature uh, in cinema or in right. on film, I guess. Right. If they had casted some random Joe Schmo, Schmo like Chris Pratt or whatever, oh they're like, God. "Here you go. You, you get you, you be you're Mario. Now you get to be you get to be the <laughs> farmer in Colorado Space." It'll be a Delta Green movie at that point. Exactly. It'll be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be a Delta Green movie, hundred percent. We have um, to get these monsters. <laughs> and for it's a me, Mario. And for for the audience that may not know, Delta Green is the Call of Cthulhu RPG that's all about your experienced and people, your extraordinary thrown into an extraordinary situation. You're hunting down the mythos. You're your X Files, basically. Yes, X Files so. from Miskatonic University. Yeah. And speaking of Miskatonic University, Josh, I need you. Can you just walk me through the whole plot of this movie? Sure. So Colorado Space as a film is based on a short story uh, by Lovecraft called The Color Out of Space. Same, same title, same film, same short story. This short story was written pretty early. Yeah, 1927. So yeah, it was one of his first stories that really gripped people that really was like whoa it was right there alongside at the mountains of madness um the story is very short it, it went short story it is really a short story it's barely that i would say it's a total of maybe 10 pages give or take and the movie parallels in summary at least that short story in that a farmer out in the middle of nowhere up by the east coast over by 
uh, you know, Philadelphia and all those and Massachusetts and so forth. I believe it is in Massachusetts, Lovecraft's home country, hometown, right. home state, home county, also called Lovecraft country, where all this weird shit happens. <laughs> Farmer's family doing their thing out in the out in rural Massachusetts. Some sort of meteorite crashes down in the middle of their farmstead. And at first, it doesn't really cause much a buzz. The locals saw the farmers and his family as kind of weirdos anyways, so no one really gave him much mind or took him seriously. Like, oh, some weird crash in my field. So, But over time, the presence of this meteorite starts to cause their homestead and their farm to bloom unexpectedly. Pumpkins grow bigger than ever. They get massively and perfectly red tomatoes. The, even the cows start giving off more milk and all these crazy things start happening as they get more or less a Eden of their own in their farm. At first, it's perfect. One way or another, things start getting weird. The farm begins to mutate. The family begins to take on some sort of weirdness about them. Nobody sees them for months. And eventually, the story uh, reaches a climax, a short story does, as well as the movie, when um, officials sent from the town show up to the farm to find that not only has the farmer's children disappeared, quote-unquote, but his wife has been relegated to the attic and kept there under threat of lock and key, of which she's been transformed into some creature. Bunch of other things happen. After the officials show up, they try to come back with a team of researchers only to find the farm is gone, and all that remains is a blasted wren, a large clearing of ash and smoke the farmstead completely gone the fields completely obliterated and all that's standing is a sole well the day the family drew water from before standing in its place in summary that's what happens in the movie more or less there's a ton of in between that the movie does that the short story does not right. touch on at all the short story is written from the point of view of the officials of the i believe it's the mm -hmm. uh like inspector doing like inspection for the city regarding the building of a new dam which happens in the movie as well but he has a more active role in engaging with the the members of the family so that's that's a summary in a nutshell like it's very much side by side the same summary as the short story for the movie right like uh before we started recording you recommended me read the short story so of course i did and I was surprised how much it lined up with mm -hmm. the film and how much the film lined up with the short story. Because usually they like take like a kernel. It's like, okay, here's yeah. like the idea. Let's expand on it and change it. But like this was like, okay, let's look at love, what Lovecraft wrote and like fill in the gaps. Instead of having the perspective be the farmer, it's the whole family in the movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was, I was, I was geeking out watching the movie i was like it's exactly like the story <laughs> this came up this was a thing and oh this is probably gonna oh man it was it was beautiful your brain was and, firing on all cylinders you're like yes and the pacing was perfect you the stood up and you clapped you're like this is <laughs> this is love <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah no i mean it the short story is like as you read it is, is not from like day by day everything happening inside the farm it's very much snapshots right but the movie translates that perfectly to an actual story with different major events happening as days pass as the farm mutates and the family mutates 
gives their perspective. And it doesn't just jump through it like, okay, we got to check a bunch of boxes is how we got here and kind of tell the story of this crazy thing happening through unnecessary exposition and et cetera, et cetera. They don't do any of that. Instead, they actually throughout the film, and I want to hear your thoughts on this if you felt this too, but the entirety of the film uses very tight angled shots of all the characters. It draws you in. You're always, always feeling suspense. At least I was. Rachel and I were. We were watching it together. But there was just this suspense throughout the entire film of something about to happen. And even in the beginning, when supposedly everything is normal, the family is still just, there's some sort of incompatibility there. They're not comfortable here. You find out later on that they moved from the city to this farm that is actually, you know, his his family farm was father that passed away. Right. So there's tension there already, natural tension, but that that makes the transition to supernatural tension so natural and so like Ooh. it's so good. It's so right. just yeah, like something's not right. Why are they talking this way to each other? Why are they why are they acting this way? Why is there these really tight shots showing the family eating dinner? Why why is the camera like sneaking around corners watching what they do? Like it's just it was tense the entire movie. They did that all throughout. It didn't, it didn't skip a beat in that regard, unless you were like running to uncover something when they ran to the barn to find out what happened to the alpacas. Yeah, that uh, that direction uh, draws you as the viewer into the story, into the family's uh, drama, because like, you know, any other movie, you would feel like this isn't real because like you have like these cinematic panning shots, establishing shots. And of course you have that. That's the language of cinema. But uh, throughout the entire film, when conversing with other characters, when interacting with other people, it's these tight shots and it makes it feel like it's you there interacting with these people because like in your real life, that's how you view the world. You don't, you don't see the world, you know, through the lens of a camera, you see it like up and close. Yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. that captured it. That captured it. You just felt the tension that the characters win, like, and it didn't stop. And I, I just, it amazed me that they were able to keep that throughout the entire movie. Like with this film, because like, what makes it so unique and interesting? And like, I don't look at reviews. I don't look. At, I don't care about percentages. Rotten you don't tomatoes. listen to the crowd, Armand. I don't. You're, you're just you're you're a step above the rest. You're just like I don't listen to the din in the crowd or I people wanna, throwing tomatoes. I want to give it a fair art. shot. Like I don't go into the art museums. Like okay, let me see what other people think about these paintings. No, I, yeah, let me look online. Let me let me check Reddit. I experience. I I just want to go in. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't gonna let that one go. Uh, <laughs> like. I wanted to experience and draw my own conclusion. And I saw before going, I was like, oh, the ratings are really bad for this movie. And I watched it. I'm like, this definitely wasn't a shitty movie. (laughs) I could see why people were turned off by it. But Lovecraft in of itself is a pretty niche thing. But where did you see? Where did you see people thought the movie was shitty? Because I saw a lot of people like this movie. It's got it's got a uh, let me check. It's got an 86 percent. On uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Hold that's on. pretty good. It's not nine. It's not in the nineties, but not many films are. IMDb is six point two. Oh, who the fuck watches? Who the fuck listens to IMDb? <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but like 
Yeah, and I see like you know, IMDb is like a three and a half out of five or three out of five, and I'm like, that's okay. still not bad. That's still not bad. But it's on Shutter, or- on Shutter, of course, it's four point two out of five. You know, that's that is the audience that you're making this movie for horror fans. Yeah, I, I personally, and we'll get back to this. I hope that this does two things. One, it makes um, Richard Stanley, who is the director who worked on this film and wrote it, get back into some of the really awesome films he made back in the day. Because I know this director. I know the stuff he made in the past. He's made some pretty controversial films before. We'll get into them right now. But I hope that it kind of gets him back to direct the kind of films that really put his name out there to begin with. Number two, I hope that this allows studios, funders, fans, people who are into horror movies, based the people controlling whether or not movies get made or not, especially, that Lovecraftian horror is a viable medium uh, or viable content matter, uh, subject matter for uh, cinema. I really hope it makes people see that because, like, I would like to think that this movie would be a first uh, impression of Lovecraftian horror for a lot of people. And it does that by not even explaining that it's Lovecraftian. I think somewhere in the movie it said something like, based on the Lovecraftian short story, Colorless Bay. Like, I'm sure it says somewhere in there. I don't remember where, but I hope that it gets more movies made, more content made on Lovecraft's works, on Lovecraft universe. Because it's a it's a sorely missed opportunity that there are very few worthwhile movies that use the use the content, and there are very few games that use the content. Most of them that have tried do it poorly, as I was saying right. at the beginning of the episode. So I just come back to that of like I hope it does those two things: propels Richard Stanley further with new, really good movies like this, getting him back to his roots of how he got his name in the first place as a director. And two, opens the wider audiences up to accept more Lovecraftian content. So I have two points on what you said. But first, uh, you said that Richard Stanley had a controversial uh, inception of his directorial career. (laughs) What did you mean by that? And I want to link that back to H.P. Lovecraft himself. So when I'm doing my own artwork in the background, I listen to a lot of like like history things, culture things, sometimes movie reviews, stuff like that. And it's ironic that we watched this and then I saw, oh, this is directed by Richard Stanley. That's the same dude that made the movie Hardware that I learned even existed only a few weeks ago when listening to, I can't remember the top of my head, it was some sort of like video essay talking about, you know, what movies existed for pure shock value, what movies are too gruesome for like, and they talked about hardware as one of them. And that was Richard Stanley's um, directorial debut of a feature film. So that was his first feature film was hardware. And it's considered an incredibly graphic over the top slasher film with an Android. And it's got, I remember the video essay I was watching was talking uh, can't find it for the life of me looking back at my history right now anyways um what the the video essay i started listening to noted how it was such a controversial film that not only did a lot of countries ban it outright but on top of that there were like all kinds of drama filming it where there were certain scenes 
that the production crew actually walked out on and refused to film oh because they were they were that bad yeah because richard stanley had like this no it has to be this it has to be this so he's like a crazy uh stanley kubrick it's in his name richard kind, stanley kind of kind of i mean he did he did um the island of dr moreau like that that's his movie he did a number of other films that I personally haven't seen, but I know his name based entirely on that essay. And of course, the fact that, oh, he made The Island of Dr. Moreau. That's a really good film and kind of a classic. It is. Yeah, with Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. that's really interesting because, like, so he's a controversial guy. Uh, I mean, I feel oh, like but... a lot of artists are in some way, H.P. Lovecraft included. Do you want to talk about Lovecraft's I do controversial? Like, uh, uh, I never history? talked. With, yeah, because he has a little bit of a checkered past. A little bit, a little bit life. <laughs> because, like, what's interesting about Lovecraft, and I never talked with you about this, um, is that what drives his horror genre that he mm-hmm. created is so H.P. Lovecraft, in my point of view, was a deeply xenophobic racist and ignorant yeah. person not because even for of... his time even for his time really yeah, well yeah no no if there's a ton of essays out there breaking down what his uh because he formed a lot of writer circles and it was like that's one of the places he was at least social he wasn't very social but that would be at least how he would get out because he'd go out and he'd meet other writers and they'd have like writing groups and stuff like that and they exchange it that's how other people wrote works in his setting is he more or less with like, oh, yeah, I love your story with blah, blah. Can I write a character doing X, Y, and Z in it? Yeah, sure you can. And that's how it opened up as he was always open to people writing in his world. Very interesting. Yeah, but, now, but even even like people that worked with him on things, they were just like, man, it's really racist. <laughs> so if you, if you it, dig a little bit deep, you'll find like he was racist and xenophobic even for the time. It, it, he's a very scared person. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the key word. He was afraid. He was scared. So it wasn't out of a place of hatred. He was just genuinely fearful of the foreigner. And in that uh, short story, he uses that phrase a lot. I'm like, here it is. The xenophobia is coming out. Yeah. And it's really easy for xenophobia, especially when you multiply it with fear, to turn it into like racism. Because then they're like, well, these other people who are not 
Anglo-Saxon, um, they're different skin color, they're X, Y, and Z, they do this, they do that. I'm fearful of them because I don't understand them. I don't understand them because they're lesser. Like, it's really easy to, like, it's really easy to make that hop, skip, and jump to that kind of racism, in my opinion. And he did that a lot. Like, a lot of stories he wrote about, I don't remember what story it was, but I remember reading one of his short stories that talked about somebody going into, like, a jungle in, like, Africa and, like, finding an ancient temple and stuff like that. And literally the key phrase he was calling out was, yes, and the savages, with their limited understanding, would have no way of knowing how even stonework is made. And it's just like, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally talking about them like they're subhuman. And, and that just because they are still native peoples living in tribal groups, they don't even know how stone carving works. They built these monuments Yet they're savages. With their Yet they don't even know how to use hand tools. And it's like, oh my god! With their limited intellect, they created yeah. these structures. <laughs> yeah, even even though even though even though the Anglo-Saxons' brains are twice as big. And it's just like, <laughs> no, no, it, he he oh very god. much he very much prescribed to sci- the scientific racism movement of the time. And the idea that, well, it's not their fault they're lacking that intellect. They just are genetically inferior. Like, But even like – I guess it is specifically the Anglo-Saxons because, like, in the short he's, story, he's Color, Color Out of he's Space, yes, because like he was like, oh, the charred area of this forest, not even the Pollocks would go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, re- like, I oh, forgot boy. about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like um, – uh, um, I saw a piece of content recently that was talking about how racist um, the author, his name just gave me, the author of James Bond, the original author. Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. How racist he was and how racist he was about things that you forgot people could even be racist about. Like the whole, and he was a Serbian, so he was of low intellect. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with Serbians? <laughs> what? Am I missing something? Anybody that's different than you, it's like, surely they're not like me because I'm smart and they're dumb. Yeah. It's just yeah, weird exactly. because like, out of all the worlds that authors have created, you know, Frank Herbert with the whole Dune universe, uh, Star Wars with George Lucas, Ron Barry with Star Trek, mm-hmm. with Lovecraft, how come his world, you know, exists, persisted, despite the original author being so damn racist? Like, I think to uh, J.K. Rowling, because she's super transphobic with her comments about being a yeah. turf and all that shit. Oh, man. I just wonder, I was like, is this going to be like Lovecraft, where it's like they don't talk about the problematic elements of the original creator, and yet they're playing in this world that the author created type of thing. And and I think that's okay. I, I fall in the camp of of if, if J.K. Rowling is a terrible person, that's fine. Other people are taking her works and expanding upon them and working in that world, and you don't have to involve her. Simple as that. She can continue to be transphobic. She can continue to be a hateful person. That's her problem. If people continue to play in her world, then obviously she's still alive, so she's getting royalties. But eventually she will pass away. Eventually she will move on. Eventually Harry Potter will fall into the public domain if by that point it's even still interesting and popular. Because not everything has a staying power of Lovecraft, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, like where it's transcending its creator and it's just being held onto with a firm grip as a cultural icon, like not everything has its staying power and there's no way I know if Harry Potter will or won't. Um, That's true. But my, I, I, I accept and I, I look at Lovecraft's past and how xenophobic and racist he was 
and I separate it from his works. Mostly because you, you don't have to emphasize the parts of his work, which, by the way, are not super frequent. It does happen. He does bring it up. It does come into stuff, especially when the horror focuses on tribal peoples or stuff like that. Especially focuses there. That's like, not great. <laughs> but by, by volume, Lovecraft actually makes up a very small amount of work in the Lovecraft universe. Because authors have been writing in that world why he was alive, after he was dead, and even today. So people are still adding to it. So by volume of original works written by the guy himself, pretty, it's pretty small. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so I, think, I think, in my opinion, I, I can look at it and say, he was a fearful person, he's incredibly xenophobic, probably pretty freaking racist. Does that make me like feel dirty or wrong for enjoying playing in that universe? No. He's dead. He's been dead for almost 100 years now. And I'm not going to say he was a product of his time, because like I said, that kind of contradicts my statement of he was racist even for his time. <laughs> but he was an incredibly terrified person. J.K. Rowling's still alive. She's still getting royalties from Harry Potter. And she doesn't really have an excuse for being a hateful person and being like, well, actually. <laughs> well, actually, Hermione is a woman because she was born a woman. Well, well, actually, actually, Harry Potter's gay, so it's okay. Well, actually, Dumbledore was gay, so da 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 da. It's like, oh, okay. Well, did you know that Dumbledore yeah. was gay the whole time? Did no. you know Hagrid had a secret lover? There was a man. Let's make movies out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like why, why, why are you? It, it's so weird. He's gay, but not trans. It's so weird the hell that she's decided to die on. Like of yeah. all the things you've decided to be loud and vocal about, it's this. And then when people call her out on it, she gets all defensive and angry about it. And it's like, don't, you're entitled to your opinion. Anybody can have their opinion. Everybody does have their opinion with the age of social media. Right. And they love to share it. But if people get angry at you for it or refuse to listen to your opinion, you, you, don't, you don't really have a right to say, no, how dare you not listen to me? How dare you not listen to my opinion? That makes no sense. And that's, that's what brushes me the wrong way. It's like, you want to be a bigot and a racist or a transphobe? Be that way over there. I don't have to consume your content. I don't have to pay attention to you. Right. But but then when they they're like, no, I have to make space for this. Like she was upset and going on a rant that Warner Brothers had refused to invite her to like a Harry Potter day or something like that in London. Yeah. And she was like, oh, they're excluding of this and and then this, that, and the other. And it's like she couldn't sue them because they own the rights to Harry Potter. So if they want to exclude her, they can. Damn. <laughs> and it's like you you have this opinion and no one should be forced to listen to it. You can have the opinion. No one's saying you can't. But no one's going to be like, here, let me strap myself to a chair. Open my ears so I can hear you be a transphobe <laughs> on the open or at an event where children are going to be attending. No. She wants to bake her cake and eat it too. Yes. Yes. So, but I think we've digressed a little bit. The point yes. is, is that it's, I think, in my opinion, I understand why people wouldn't. But I think that Lovecraft's racism and xenophobia can be separated from the work that everyone can enjoy nowadays. Like, yeah, because like every time I look at something that's Lovecraft, I'm like, it's so interesting that even though the original person was so problematic, and yet their universe that that, that they made lived on and is beloved by so many people, and they care more about that, his work, rather than 
he himself. So yeah, very. Cool. I, I think I think it's a fantastic legacy, and you know what? He'd be appalled if uh, he'd be appalled to know how much we've embraced air conditioning. <laughs> You heard about that, right? That he was like, he's like terrified of air conditioning. Because of like germs and stuff? Germs and because it was like, it was unknown how it worked. And and like, he wrote a whole short story about like a neighbor of his, like living inside their apartment and never leaving and living off the AC and like becoming bound to it. God, what the fuck? That's like a oh, Franz Kafka novel. <laughs> Metamorphosis inside exactly. of the cockroach. I am the AC. She's <laughs> becoming the air conditioning units. Exactly. Uh, but back to color out of space. Um, yeah, I mean, so we have these fantastic performances by Nicolas Cage and mm-hmm. all these other actors. And yeah. what's very cool is it's just the Lovecraftian elements are just sprinkled in it's not there's no exposition dumps because like the little little world building is so like we have this uh hydrologist from miskatonic university yeah and those who are up to date keen to the lovecraftian lore miskatonic university right is very central to the lovecraftian world or arkham or arkham they mention arkham as a town and it's like there's call outs there but they're not, I know who that is moments. <laughs> like they're not, they're not like, they're not like, Oh, look, here's this thing. Everybody knows. Isn't it cool? It's not like uh, the dude looked directly into the camera. It's like, I'm from Miskatonic university. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like he pulls open his jacket. I'm from Miskatonic. Here's my elder sign hanging from my neck. Here's, here's my Necronomicon. I copied my Necronomicon. Right. right. Like you guys remember this? Whoa. It's just in the background because the foreground yeah. is, how this it's fa- the world yes. it's the world like we have this family that's interacting with something from beyond something exactly. that's uh changing the the landscape the animals and then ultimately themselves and that's where i think the true horror comes from is like them transforming because like you know you said it earlier it's like oh we have this like interpersonal conflict going on between the family members are not very happy with their current living situation. And then that mutates literally and figuratively into this grotesque monstrous situation. And now they're like Lovecraftian uh, horrors from the cosmos. And it's like, well, yeah. what are you going to do now? Yeah. it That, that is, there are very few stories in Lovecraftian mythos where they're like perfectly tied together like unless it's like a series like the the call of cthulhu which is an entire like little one i think it's the longest work lovecraft ever wrote and considered like his i guess his magnum opus you could say but there's a lot of other stories in the mythos in lovecraft country that the only thing they have in common is they're all in the same world it's sort of like how if you didn't have han solo and solo if it was just some dude who was breaking the law and trying to drop out of being an Imperial stormtrooper? it would not have been a solo movie or it would have been a Star Wars movie set in that universe. Just like Andor, for example, Andor is like, oh, there's Skywalker or there's so-and-so. It's like, no, this is a completely different group of people in the same universe. And I think Colorado Space does that lovely, uh, uh, lovingly in the fact that Richard Stanley saw that this is an entire world and I'm putting this situation in that world and I'm drawing from the story already written 
and I'm not doing all these shout outs that people would rec- recognize. I'm stating this guy's from Miskatonic University. They're used to dealing with weird shit. Arkham is right down the street as one of the major hubs of trade, commerce, and weirdness. Right. And everything else, we're in Massachusetts. So this is this, this is this. Okay, here's the focus of the story. Like it's happening as a contained world. They're playing in the world. The world is not revolving around them. And what's interesting about the world, because like every time I think about Lovecraft, it's turn of the century, maybe Victorian, Edwardian, where it's like it's modernized. Yeah, yeah, to your point. Um, most of Lovecraft stories happen either late 1800s or early 1900s. Most of them are like 1910s, 20s, 30s. But yeah, you're right. The fact that this one is modern and the fact that that made no difference in how horrible it was. Right. Because instead, it just added to it with the magnetic interference of the electronics, the, the cell phones having issues, it creating additional ways this thing was communicating with them. Right, because like the biggest detriment to like having horror set in the modern age is like cell phones. With a cell phone, you could call the police, do a whole bunch of stuff. But like in this instance, like you said, we have this electromagnetic uh, entity that's disrupting even time and space. Because like one of the characters is like, it feels like we've been doing this for hours, but it's like, you know, uh, how many days have gone by? We've been sitting here. It's like. Oh my God. It's like kind of like the shimmer in uh, Annihilation, where you go in there, you have no sense of time. You don't know what's happening. Everything is, yeah. everything, reality is distorted. And exactly. that's a great way to like uh, disable our Swiss Army, digital Swiss Army knives in our pockets. Yeah. And, and there's, no, there's no resolution, there's no closure. Right. That's love crafting as hell. You get no explanation, no true closure. <laughs> and the story is bookended wonderfully by that fact, by yes. that emphasis of this is Lovecrafting horror. There is no closure. There is nothing to be known. We are an insignificant thing in an ocean of powers we cannot comprehend. And like it just bookends it so perfectly because the character, the last survivor, the hydrologist, he's just staring out on the open reservoir that they created with the dam. And he's very much contemplating that fact that it's crushing that there's nothing he can do no one that will believe him and that why did he survive what was the point he could have stayed up in the house and he would have died with all of them right like what i also enjoyed about the bookends is especially the intro it's lifted directly from the short short story yep oh i love that so much it's so cool it's like damn like uh, the writer for this movie did their research. Richard Stanley, he wrote and directed. Like, like he kudos just, to you, Richard. I mean, yeah, what a what a what a return to doing feature films. <laughs> yeah, because it had been like twenty years since he did his last feature film before this. So that's why I'm excited. Like, I hope I hope he has more cool stuff and ideas up his sleeve. I hope he has the ability to do so. He got into a little bit of uh, controversy again. Oh, I, I have been following. What's that? Um, abuse allegations. Okay, yeah. Oh, man, she's fucking Justin Roiland, Richard Stanley. Seems to be seems to be the period, huh? Yeah, it's the period of uh, oh shit, I'm actually a piece of shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like ah, oh, that's that's always that's always like 
And, you know, you want to, you want to like wait till a court case or like an actual trial versus, all right, well, let's see where this goes versus immediately saying, nope, they're a piece of shit. <laughs> but right. we'll see. We will see. I, I hope it's not the case. I hope that they're just allegations and not, oh, it turns out he has 10, you know, witnesses and all these people. And nope, he, he, re- he really is a piece of shit. Ugh. I told everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they found all my shit. Fuck. Or, yeah, yeah, my evidence, like this, all the people this, this many to. people over this many years that like have said that he did shitty things. And I'm like, oh, well, it's one thing to have one person say you did something shitty. It's another thing to have like 20 people over 10 years. <laughs> Can you corroborate this story? Yeah, along with these 15 other people. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah, even without the court case, they're probably as shitty as they say. <laughs> but with all that aside, this was a great film. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, going, going back to the film um, and away from the director. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great film, amazing. Just, I, I don't know if it's one of my favorite films of all time, but it certainly is up there in my like top 10. Like I'm just... I was blown away. This, it really, it really like it. It was a slow yeah. burn. And once it started burning in that third act, I was like, holy, I was waiting this whole time for this. <laughs> the true cosmic and, horror came into yeah. frame. It was beautiful. Yeah. And it like, it didn't throw you into it. Like, boom, here's tentacles. It was um, just steady, steady building. It was a gradual buildup. Oh my yeah. God. Some of the... Some of the set pieces of this film, I was watching. I'm like, fuck, am I going to freak Josh out? Because it was pretty gruesome, especially uh, with the mother and her uh, son. I was going to mention that. Why would it freak me out? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I am I am not. I am not I squeamish. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting her to fully cut her two fingers off. I wasn't expecting right, that. that. I was expecting. I, I was expecting a. <laughs> I was expecting a barely messed, a barely, barely messed, like, um, moment. She kept on cutting like, that carrots. Right, right. And the whole, the whole dinner's ready. Like, oh my God, that was, wow. That was in the beginning too. That's what, that's what, uh. That was like 30 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. From there, like, okay. Once you see a woman cut her fingers off, it's like, okay, everything else. <laughs> Everything's downhill from here. Yep. We've seen her uh, get fused with her son and then turn into this abomination. Yep. Something out of the thing. And has become an abomination. Yes. It was like the thing. And we, we never we never got to see what happened to um, the son or Sam, the dog. They got sucked into another dimension, probably. Because they because in the well, just like uh, with the short story, there's a well. And at the bottom of the well is this like, I don't even know how to describe it. This... Uh, psychedelic sarlacc indescribable pit. energy <laughs> yes in- yeah indescribable unimaginable horror at the bottom yep. of the well and he got sucked into it because he had a great fucking idea oh let me go down there and try to save my dog i do love that though that the jerk of behavior that both nick cage shows and that his son shows and that his other son shows and that his daughter shows where they're teetering on a tightrope of sanity and that tightrope becomes more and more taut throughout the film to where at the beginning there's something wrong their mother you find out their mother had cancer and she's going through she has surgery and everything right. was fine and x y and z happened and you find out oh there's a lot of tension in the household because of that and then the tightrope becomes tighter and tighter as it gets closer and closer to the supernatural element and 
you get these moments of them slipping where they slip into a level of detachment and a different person almost yes. where they're having a breakdown, yes. but then they regrab that reality and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I need to do this. Sort of like when Nick cage is almost, he almost kills the abomination that is his wife and son, the fuse being yeah. in the attic. But then as soon as he kisses her, immediately he goes back to everything's normal. Everything's fine. Like it's just a teetering of different characters of different levels of insanity. And it just, it does it so seamlessly. And so like convincingly, the acting was just hundred percent right. nailed in that regard. Cause you knew what was happening. It didn't require exposition. It's like, why is he going back? Why is he, why is he? No, you know, you know why, because he's having, he's not himself. That's kind of that encapsulate. Okay. Nick Cage's performance, the way you describe yes. it perfectly encapsulates what I think Lovecraftian is, which is, one foot in the known, one foot in the unknown. It's this teetering wow. back and forth like a seesaw. Absolutely. It's like, I'm in the world that I know. I am out of it and I'm freaking out. I'm in the chaos. Right. Okay, I'm back in now. Yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the, if I've got my head in the water, everything has ripples and is waving. It's hard for me to see. If I have my head out of the water for a little bit, I can see it for what it is. But as the movie goes on, their head is metaphorically more under the under the surface as the movie goes on, that it right. is out of it. And eventually they're fully submerged yep. and there's no going back. And they're consumed. And like, exactly. God, that, that bookend at the end with just like the whole, I thought it was the ending of the movie and it went on for a little bit with the hydrologist. Yeah, um, yeah. With the daughter, she was almost the final girl. And then almost, she almost survived. Yeah. She almost survived by seeing her dad get, get some, Shot. uh, <laughs> Stop by police it's, yeah i was gonna say like like um, that's police you know, too. Seeing, yeah you know you know see, see, seeing uh it's like all right that's realistic seeing, seeing her dad get some democracy delivered to him <laughs> um like like caused her to break like that was yes. the last that was the last like breaking point that, that she had nothing to lose so my whole family's dead yeah yeah so Man. She became one with the cosmos. As this they all did. special yeah. effects bonanza of purple and pink lights. She gets disintegrated into stardust essentially. Yeah, as they all are taken away by this color out of space. Yeah. And the hydrologist lived, which I'm glad he did, because like he was That's the one survivor. Yeah. To tell the story. No one will believe or chooses not to believe. Oh man, this movie was great. Um, Josh, would you like to get off the fence on a few questions I have about this movie? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so my first question is, given the ending of the movie, do you think the horror is contained or do you think it will return in a different form? So I think as the short story did... I don't think there'll be a sequel. I don't think there'll be a way it'll be returning. I think that it would be a betrayal of the genre, in my opinion, to take the color out of space and find some way to create a sequel. I think it's meant to be a one-off occurrence. So I think it would be kind of a betrayal of the content, the source material, because Lovecraft stories are meant to be one-off. They're meant to be like that contained space, that contained story. So 
it would be kind of strange and not strange, be a betrayal source material to have a clear out space too. the continuance of the horror and the um, what's going to happen next and the prolonged sense of dread is that something is in the water is that that reservoir, that dam, that et cetera, et cetera is being used in Arkham's greater water supply. Will it have an effect? Will it poison people? Will it cause the same level of insanity to other individuals or entire populations? We're not meant to have that answer. We will never know. That's part, I would say, at its core of the existential dread that Lovecraftian horror brings, is that you just don't know, and you never will. It's sort of like what The Thing Man should do. That's why The Thing is such an amazing movie, is that there wasn't a thing to. There wasn't meant to be. So you, you, you don't know where this thing come from. Why was it here? Are there more of them? We don't know. Never will. Do you think this film would have worked better if it was just focused on the family and we didn't have the hydrologist? We didn't have, uh, we didn't even talk about him. Chong is in this movie as a hippie. Uh, it was just focused oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the family. They don't know. What's, we know what the family knows. We yeah. as an audience watching this movie, we know like, okay, the meteor fell down. We saw the meteor fall down and all this stuff. But like, what if we are in the dark as the family is in the dark watching it unfold on screen? I, are you asking like, would it be a better film if it was just focusing on the family? Or are you asking, would it be a different film? Would it be a better film? A better film. Or would it be a different film? Would it be the same film? What do you think? I think that having the supporting characters, the outsiders looking in, very much acted as the investigators effectively. Because in order for there to be Lovecraftian horror, you have to have investigators. I don't think the families are the, well, I think the families are the investigators in the beginning, but they quickly go from being the investigators to the investigated. So right. the hydrologist is the investigator from the get-go. He eventually enlists the sheriff. And that's it. He eventually tries to enlist the the squatter, uh, uh, Ezra, who Ezra, I believe, is one of the characters' names in the short story as well, which is a cool, a pretty cool plug, yeah. I think. Um, so I, I don't think it would have made better. I think it might have made worse. It would have been a different film entirely if you just focused entirely on the family and the peripheral characters never came into it. Because the hydrologist, Ward... He's the only one that keeps his sanity throughout. He doesn't get infected. He doesn't get affected the same way the family does right. for whatever reason, probably because he didn't drink the water. Um, so and in fact, yeah, he never drinks the water, like not once, even when uh, Ezra offers him the, the Java, he, <laughs> he like doesn't actually, you don't actually ever see him drink it. He knows better because he's from Miskatonic University. He's like, he's a also a hydrologist. So he's probably a bit of a germaphobe. Oh, yeah, just like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. So do you think this movie would have worked as a Delta Green movie? As a Delta Green movie? Yes. So more action, more guns blazing, more like Annihilation? Yes. Because Annihilation is a Delta Green movie, in my opinion. <laughs> it is. Not... They're, they're being sent in. They're specialists. They're soldiers. They're armed. They have all this equipment. They're, they have training. Damn, you're right. They're still, they still get screwed over. They still get ruined. But they're at least trained and they're going and expecting it. They're not just regular, everyday people put in an extraordinary situation. You got Chris Pratt, Van Damme, the whole Expendables. It's like, okay, we're going to kill some aliens. <laughs> that would be the worst take on 
That'd be the worst take on <laughs> on a Lovecraft of the Lovecraftian genre. Let's a go. It, it's all about family. We're going to show Pastor what for. Down Toretto comes in oh, with his uh, charger. Ugh, awful. Um, so would it have been better? Would it be better as a Delta Green movie like Annihilation? I don't think so. I don't think the color off space as source material works with a flare of action to it. You know, the, the whole core of the story is that these are everyday people living out in a rural community. That's what brings the horror because, right. you know, I, I personally, I grew up in a relatively rural community in Texas. So having weird things happen, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen True Detective, but True Detective, the first season, like a big part of True Detective season one is the horror of rural communities, the horror of being out in the middle of nowhere and unusual things happening right. to unfortunate people part of the color of space is that they're out in the boonies they move from the city but they're still at this point just rural folk living far from any kind of civilization they even mentioned in the movie that the nearest hospital is like two hours away so like that's rural oh i'm just imagining this story uh kind of expanded to like a true detective where it's like investigating what happened and then it's like going through what happened like oh and then near the end it's like holy shit it's aliens a a delta green series i gotta watch lovecraft country because i've heard it kind of is that um but basically a delta green movie or even a series would be just you know x files but with teeth like, like, because nice. that that is that is it. Like, the X Files is solving mysteries and them encountering government cover ups, even though they're part of the government and dealing with supernatural things they can't understand. If it wasn't for being in the nineties, then you could absolutely take the X Files and just update it to today. But I don't think you call it X Files because X Files is its own thing, in my opinion. Right. Um, so that, that's my answer to your question on that is that I don't think it would, it would make sense for it to be Delta green. You'd have to make, you'd have to make a completely different story, right. completely different movie. Yeah. So do you think this is the best Lovecraftian adaptation you've seen so far? Yes. hundred percent. Like by far anything else that attempts to take Lovecraft often twists it for their own narration, mm-hmm. their own, like, well, let me throw this in here. Let me throw a romance in there. Cause everybody loves romances. <laughs> let me throw, let me throw a, a hulking dude with a gun in here. Cause that's, that's trendy right now. Well, let me throw in a damsel in distress. Cause that's, that's part of the core. Like they try to take the genre and the setting and they try to morph it, uh, mutate it as appropriate to this film. Yes. Into something that is consumable for what at the time is popular. Palatable palatable that's the word yeah palatable it would be like if this movie came out in the 1970s the director if he didn't have any sense about him would have said wait then the monster comes out of the bar and chases the family around the house with a big knife because <laughs> that 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 was in vogue at the time yes. that was popular 1970s slasher films were the were the go-to and sneaking around trying to avoid the horrible killer who's doing things in today's age with horror films um i think this movie came along at the exact right time in the fact that suspense horror especially when you saw how popular um uh um jordan peele's film um nope was 
Nope was super popular mm-hmm. and Nope is a mountain of suspense and existential dread and what on earth is this thing? This makes no sense. This is reality bending. This is changing the very world around us. Um, or Annihilation, same thing. It's like this movie came along at the exact right time when this kind of horror is in vogue. And I hope that it, again, sparks people to pick this this content up more and make good movies out of it. Right, because like the horror that I enjoy is more of the suspense, the more of the thriller rather than what's been popular for a very long time. I call them the Blumhouse horrors where it's just like jump scare after jump scare. It's like, man, this is fucking stupid. It's not even scary. It is. I agree with you entirely. You're just it's like peekaboo for adults. (laughs) It's the same thing with horror games. Horror games in the same way where there's this there was this entire period of just jump scares and it's just like this fucking sucks. (laughs) This isn't scary. It's just cheap. It's cheap thrills. Yeah. I want the good yeah. shit. Right. I want, the top I want Good stuff. Yes. I want buildup. I want I want suspense. I want being on the edge of my seat and then changing or subversion of expectations. Like Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When the mother cuts her fingers off, that was a subversion of subversions. Because on one hand, you're expecting her just to miss and it coming really close and just nicking herself. That was expected. Or it comes really close to it, or she hallucinates her. No, she actually cuts her fucking fingers off. That took what would have been subversion of expectations in the past and then subverted those expectations to, no, she just flat out cuts her fucking <laughs> fingers off and acts like it's normal. Yep. Oh, my God. Ooh. That was, so that was an insane sequence. I loved it. I was like, yes. And it's so gripping because the camera's jumping back and forth between the characters and between her cutting the carrots. And you're just like, it's like, surely she's going to stop. Or, or yeah. I thought she was going to stab the kid. And yes. Yes. I, I thought she was going to turn around and stab the kid by accident. Or I thought, okay, this is going to be a cheap scare where she's going to come this close and just stop short of her, like, cutting her finger um and then she cuts her half i'm like <laughs> blown away blown away like wow they delivered 
They delivered, yes. All right, Josh, final question. I think I know it. Would you recommend Color Out of Space to a friend? I'd say, for me, it's a 9 out of 10. It's a fantastic movie, one of the best I've seen in quite a long time, period. Um, there's, a, there's a few little things that capture it from being a 10 in my book, but would I recommend it to a friend? It depends if that friend enjoys suspense or if I know they don't like slow boil, slow burn, sit and focus and just submerse yourself in it, then I probably wouldn't recommend it. If I know they have the time, the patience, and the want to be on the edge of their seat for an extended period, then I would recommend it. So it depends. I think I think it's very easy to dislike this film if you're going into it expecting a certain kind of horror, if you're going into it expecting a certain... Or if you're going into expecting a typical Nicolas Cage film. <laughs> it would be really easy to be disappointed. So it, it depends the friend I'm recommending it to. Nicolas Cage did such a great job. But like I agree with yeah. you. Um, I do... I, I would recommend it to, especially the horror fan, with an asterisk, because it's like, not only do you have to like horror movies, but you have to like slow burn horror yes. movies. We're going to sit there for a little under two hours and just soak up the entire story that's being told to you. If someone told me I really loved True Detective season one, as I did, then I'd recommend it to them. If someone told me I really loved True Detective season two, and I didn't like season one, then I wouldn't recommend it to them. Because those are two different seasons, two different, like, uh, if you've ever seen the show, they're completely different in how they deliver and what they deliver on. I personally like season one immensely. Um, because they're, they're two different formats. And they have two different evocations of horror, two different feelings. Right. So, yeah, 100% with you there. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming back. I really enjoyed watching this movie with you and talking about it. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people, if they want to go into Lovecraft, I think this would be a good movie to, to cut your teeth on because it's like, this is like true to the genre. A lot yes. of them get close, but like you said, they mutate it. I think this is like a really good representation of what Lovecraftian horror can be. Agreed. Agreed entirely. And it was my pleasure. I appreciate the invite as always. And yeah, happy, uh, I, happy to talk about the film with you. And thanks again for the opportunity of saying, hey, let's watch this. Because this truly was a, a missed opportunity for me. And I'm glad that got around to actually enjoy it. Because it's, yeah, definitely one of my outside favorites now. Awesome. Do you want anyone to follow you anywhere or are you off the grid? <laughs> you can at me in the social media posts you often you often put out and if people are interested <laughs> in 3D art or anything of that nature, then those are the things I work on for my social media. Awesome. So. Well, Josh, I look forward to seeing more of your 3D art in the future and also you coming on to talk about movies that you enjoy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. See ya. That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.